0: Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Would you take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we'd like to read responsibly this morning verses 15 through 18. That means I will read verses 15 and 17. And would you please read with me, please, the two even numbered verses, verses 16 and 18? That's Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. And reading responsively. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and, if he, and he will deliver us out of thine own hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not bow serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, as we consider the three Hebrew children in the plains of Dura, Lord, a familiar story to most Christians. Lord, as we consider this July 4th weekend and the independence that we received 242 years ago, I pray that you might speak to every heart. May we understand, Lord, that sometimes there needs to be a declaration of insurrection. We'll thank you for it. I pray these things now and ask your Holy Spirit's blessing. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate that. Sherry, thank you so much. Choir did a great job this morning. And congregation, you sang well as well. I'm glad that uh, everybody's participating in this Patriotic service this morning, we'll again tonight look at uh, some of our American history. I'm afraid that we've lost uh, much of our American history, and I'm afraid that it's not being taught like it once, to be taught, once was taught. In fact, it's being, uh, there's historical revisionism going on, and we'd like to set the record straight, beginning with the Word of God this morning here, and looking at that famous passage of Scripture, it's not much commentary because most of you know the story. But the three Hebrew children in the plains of Dura in Babylon... When the image was unveiled, the ninety-foot-tall image of that idol, Nebuchadnezzar gave the command that all would bow. The Bible says that these three Hebrew children they were not careful to answer the king. In other words, they didn't have to even think about it. They stood as tall as teenage boys could stand, and they said, "King, we're not careful to answer you concerning this matter. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, if not, be it known unto thee that we will not bow to your image." Because we serve another God, we serve a, a God who's in heaven, a God that's not seen with human eyes. And they, they made a declaration out of conviction, a declaration of insurrection against the king. 242 years ago and 2,500 some years after, those three Hebrew children stood in the plains of Dura and didn't bow, didn't bend, and didn't burn. Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, the oldest of the Delegates, 70 years of age at the time, and Robert Livingston from New York, and John Adams from Boston, Massachusetts, and our own Roger Sherman from what we know of today as Sherman, Connecticut, were assigned to make a draft of a declaration. And they said these words: "When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another." And to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long-established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience have shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, the events is designed to reduce them under absolute despotism. Listen, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new cards for their future security. You see, these 56 signers of our Declaration of Independence, as we know it, these 56 signers, they declared a declaration of insurrection against the king, much like the three Hebrew children declared a declaration of insurrection against the king of babylon Nebuchadnezzar what caused them to declare this declaration i want you to know this was an age of moral relativism as it's today even more so than ever before i want you to know that do you think for one moment in that plain of dura that there were the only three hebrews that were there were the shadrach meshach and abednego were there not others as well and what did they do when the king gave the order to bow they bowed convenient to keep alive of course, and but I want you I want to ask the question, and we've lost in our country today, we've lost in our churches today, we've lost in Christianity today, and I speak in a general term. We've lost moral biblical conviction. I want to deal with this subject. I asked the question this morning what compelled the founders of our country to declare their declaration, we know it as of independence, but they declared a declaration of insurrection, putting their whole lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor on the table. Some would give their lives, many would give all their fortunes to declare this declaration on July 4th, 1776, 242 years ago now. I want to give you three convictions, three convictions this morning as we dissect a little bit of the, the Declaration of Independence this morning. I want to give you three convictions in regards to what caused those 56 signers to sign their life away, their death warrant on that signature, beginning with John Hancock and the succeeding five that I named and the, the other 50 or fifty that were on that list as well. What caused them to declare their insur- ins- declaration of insurrection? I believe, first of all, the, the Constitution, or rather, the, their declaration said this once again. It said, when in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. By the way, we're all about unity today. We're all about United Nations. We're all about bringing people together. These founders were about dividing, about separating. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God divided the light from the darkness. God divided the day from the night. God's all about division. He says, come be apart and be separate, saith the Lord. Yes, the Bible speaks about unity, but sometimes there's a time to divide. There's a God and there's a Satan. There's a heaven and there's a hell. There's saved and unsaved. There's right and wrong. There's sheep and, and sheep and goats. And they said that there comes a time when we must assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. I want you to consider, first of all, and here's the punchline, the first conviction. The conviction of natural law by God Higher than the law of any government. You see, the government of Babylon said, when the image image is unveiled, you bow. When a higher law says, thou shalt not bow unto any other god besides me, the, the higher law supersedes the law of government. When the 56 signers of the Declaration, after years of intolerable acts and being trampled upon, their rights being trampled upon, They've, they said, Enough is enough. We've suffered enough. It's time to, to uh, unleash, uh, or rather, to, to uh, obey a natural, a higher law. And so, that phrase, the law of nature and of nature's God, it's really two parts. The colonists and the, the framers of our declaration were not just redundant in their verbiage. They said, The laws of nature and of nature's God for a reason. You see, it's distinguished between the laws of nature, which is obvious phrase for the concept of natural law. Which we've lost our natural law. It used to be natural in America to realize that there was that you're either a boy or a girl. No longer is it a natural law. We used to have natural laws in our country that marriage was between a man and a woman. No longer is that natural law. Now we've adopted unnatural law. Now we've thrown our fist our face our fist in the face of God, and we say, "No, we're going to have our unnatural law." We're gonna have mothers without natural affection. We're gonna have men without natural affection, truth breakers, incompetent, loving their own selves rather than lo- lovers of their own selves rather than lovers of God. The laws of nature, but then it says, and the laws of nature's God. You see, it was Sir William Blackstone, the eminent the R. G. Lee or the the Albert Einstein of British law in seventeen sixty-five, just some ten years, eleven years earlier, that wrote, in court, he wrote his great treaties that all of our founding fathers knew and digested well for the next seventy years of case history, in regard to the rules of government, English government, was Andrew, or rather, Sir William Blackstone, that said, "Upon the two foundations, the laws of nature, and the laws of revelation, or the law of revelation, he was referring to the Bible, depend all human laws." You see, the laws of nature's God. We've, we were a country founded upon the Word of God. Our founding fathers founded their belief system upon the Word of God, as all right thinking people do, because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people who put their trust in Him. And so we see this, this origin of natural law, first of all. Some say that the Republic and the, the belief in the Republican form of government goes back to. 2,000-plus years ago, back to the Grecians and to the Romans. Cicero wrote the treatise, or the book that we would call, called The Republic. And he said, In he, many secular historians credit Cicero as the, the, and the Romans as the birth of a republic, a republican form of government. Not so, but in The Republic, Cicero did say this, you cannot disagree with the gods, small g. The gods of nature or chaos will be the natural result. Later on, the rule of republic, the rule of law, the laws of nature were expanded, and they were and the rules of right conduct were expanded upon, upon with the word of God. But I want to give you the definition of what we mean when we talk about natural law. We used to know this very, no pun intended, naturally. There's a the sun that rules the day, there's a the moon that rules the night. There's much the natural law that we, the, the heavens declare the, the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. But four things about natural law and definite, defining it. Natural law is number one, true law. You can't go against true law. Yea, you let God be true, but every man a liar. It's either God's way or man's way. There's a way that it seems right unto a man, but at the end thereof are the ways of death. God came to give life, Jesus came to give life, but the thief came to give, kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and give it more abundantly. What do you want, death or life? What do you want, right or wrong? What do you want, truth or lies? You cannot have both, and there's not multiple truths. True law. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse number four, he is the rock. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is the rock. His work is perfect. And God saw that it was good. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. No sin whatsoever. Just and right is he. And so natural law is true law that concedes that life, remember life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Remember that? That life is an unalienable right. It's, it comes from no other place, but it's derivative, it's derived from God and God alone. You see, it's a gift from God. Does, does, does it ever occur, by the way, to the modern day 2018 evolutionist that evolution never occurred to the founding fathers? Did it ever occur that did it ever occur that we came from uh, a blob and amoeba and a, just a, a mass and we evolved? Or no? To our founding fathers, they were afraid that we might devolve, that we might disintegrate into degeneration and uh, into. Uh, depravity. And I'm afraid that they've been so, so much very, very mostly right. They, had, they were prognosticators of their day for sure. Did it ever occur to you that the word abortion was a term that the founders were never aware of? Remember, abortion is a, is a government mandate ending in certain death every time it's used. Adoption was a word that every one of our founding fathers knew. But they were well aware of most of them having been received the new life in Christ uh, and uh, the new birth by being adopted into the family of God, family of the Lord Jesus Christ. So natural law is, it concedes that life is a gift from God, but life liberty. See, liberty doesn't come from government, liberty comes from God. it's natural. it's, it's uh, not from government again. Government is is it government's role? You say I thought they were to give us liberty. No, they are to secure or simply protect these liberties. That's why our constitution calls for a standing army. There's a reason why governments are, are ordained. Good governments are ordained to protect, not to give liberty, but to protect liberty. And so it's interesting that these liberties. By the way, I just want to segue for just a moment in regards to natural law as true law. We've been inundated in recent years again. We're reminded every day about our crimes in American history. And we had crimes, yes, we did. Slavery was a crime, there's no doubt about that. And the Bible doesn't justify slavery. When you look at Old Testament theology, the Israelites, of course, they were we speak we speak about servants or slaves there, but they were more of the indentured slave or indentured servants. There was the year of Jubilee, remember that? Every seven years, there was an opportunity to go free, and it was a debtor's uh, bondage, if you will. And we have, by the way, we have debtor's prisons today. We call them, uh, we call them uh, congressional institutes. When you do wrong, you you're gonna, you're gonna, if you want you want to play, you got to pay. We we said, and uh, you have to pay for your crime, or you have to pay for your inefficiency, whatever it is. But. To equate the servitude of the Old Testament with the servitude and the slavery and the debauchery of nations long before America, with Britain alone and with uh, European nations and all around the world, we can find slavery all the way back to the time of Cain, you can find slavery and um, debauchery. But God set some standards, you see, even in regards to servitude. Natural law is true law that concedes liberty and the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. God's law, not only that is not only is it God's law is a true law, but secondly, God's law, or national law, let me try that again, natural law deals with absolute reality. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Here is the reality. The children of Hebrew children had a conviction in their heart They could not bow. They were bound. They could not bow to that pagan god. There was natural reality for the colonists and for the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence was that the, the King of England, there had been a long train of abuses over the course of years that necessitated the right to rebel. And as Christians, we don't consider the right to rebel much, but there used to be a day, and let me take a sidebar for a moment, There used to be a day when we didn't get our knowledge from the internet. We didn't get it from MSNBC, or Fox News for that matter, or CNN. We actually got our information not from the telephone, not from the uh, radio, but we actually, and I'm not trying to be facetious, I'm just telling you how it used to be. We used to become informed by reading books. Books sometimes say you didn't even have any pictures. Can you believe that? Now pardon me, now I'm being a little bit facetious. And there was a day in our colonies when, when there were books that were well, well read, and there was a sermon by the Congregationalist preacher Samuel West that every colonist, I dare say every colonist, every, certainly every fifty-six one of the signers of the Declaration not only knew this hour and a half sermon, it was in printed form, it was in pamphlet form, it was called The Right to Rebel. And I've tried to read the whole thing. After about an hour, I quit. I didn't never finish the sermon myself, to be honest with you. But I took excerpts from just two short paragraphs of Samuel West's right to rebel as the colonists were wondering, would it be all right to, to, to go against the king? The Bible does say honor the king after all. And here's what West concluded after much slavish, if I can use that word, study of the word of God. He said, no man, therefore, can be a good member of the community that is not a zealous, as zealous to oppose tyranny as he is ready to obey majesty." A slavish submission to tyranny is a proof of a very sordid and base mind. Such a person cannot be under the influence of any, human, or any generous human sentiments nor have a tender regard for mankind. He went on to say these words. Unlimited submission and obedience is due to none but God alone. He concludes in this paragraph here and the sermon goes on for another hour. I apprehend... Abundantly sufficient to show that tyrants are no magistrates, or that whenever magistrates abuse their power and authority to the subverting of the public happiness, their authority immediately ceases, and that it not be not only become lawful but an indispensable duty to oppose them, that the principle of self-preservation, the affection and duty that we owe to our country, and the obedience we offer the deity to do all require us to oppose tyranny? Benjamin Franklin said it, summarized it in six words: rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. If we're going to, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve Him. The colonists here's a history lesson. The colonists had to kind of finally came to the conclusion that we have one King, and his name is Jesus. The colonists said we're going to obey our King, and we have to throw off this tyrant King in the name of King George the Third. Now, that wasn't popular, by the way, and I don't have time to go into all the different factions and isms and schisms, but there were those in Christendom that were pacifists and said, no way. It's interesting, and this is a Baptist church, I have to remind you from time to time. The Baptists, when George Washington and the Continental Army was formed, whole Baptist churches were emptied of their men. Men and teenage boys were gone gone. Baptist churches in Virginia and Rhode Island and even the few struggling ones in Connecticut and Massachusetts and throughout the colonies, Baptist ministers were the bulk of the clergymen of the Continental Army. They were a large portion of the percentage-wise, the largest portion of any Christian denomination in Christendom were the Baptists that fought during the Revolution. And so we see this natural law is... Two, four things, actually. True law. Natural law is what was, uh, deals with absolute reality. Thirdly, natural law is eternal in its basic goodness. God is a holy God. God is a just God. And God is a good God. And God's goodness, he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. It's that, the eternal goodness of God. Aren't you glad that God is good this morning, by the way? Say amen. He's a good God. And he's, he's a loving God, Matthew, Mark chapter 12, verse number 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. He asks us to love him with all his heart, or all of our heart, because he loves us with all his heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and all our strength. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus went on to give the, the second uh, essential for basic goodness that natural law is based in, not only loving God, but loving our neighbor. The second is like unto, namely, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. So, natural law is based in basic goodness. Can we all just get along? We can't all just get along if we're evil. Uh, I just mentioned for a moment here I'm, I'm thankful that we have diplomatic talks going on with Russia, or rather, uh, North Korea. But we're dealing with a tyrant. We're dealing with a murderer. We're dealing with a despot. We're dealing with an evil person. I hope these talks can work, but I don't care, I, and I'm glad we're having them again, but I don't care much stock in them. I realize, you know, we tried to negotiate one time with a they made off. We had some of the smartest people in the world that were brokering peace with the, Mr. Hitler. It didn't work, the serpent's head needed to be cut off. And this evil is evil, and right is right, and good is good. Our natural law itself tells us that there's a good God in heaven. He he loves and he cares for people. But natural law, fourthly, is a code of right reason. It's a code of right reason from God himself. You see, Jeremiah 9 and 24 says, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You see, our hope, America's greatness is not in its White House. It's not in its military. It's not in its, our uh, economic abundance, or, our material blessings. Our blessing and our glory comes from God Almighty. In our pledges, we pledge to, uh, to one nation under God. Our songs include God. Every one of our 50 state constitutions, every last one of them refer to God. And every last one of them, if you go to the history books and find out who wrote those 50, uh, those 50 declarations of uh, uh, constitutions for every state, you'll find out that Christians and those that had God-fearing, they were talking about the God of the Bible. There's no doubt about it. The Bible says, you see, natural law is the code of right reason. The entrance of thy word giveth light. Without their word, there's darkness, there's stupidity. That's why in Hartford, we're saying that uh, we can solve our economic problems by creating more casinos in Connecticut. That'll solve our financial woes. That's why in in Hartford, they can say that uh, uh, we'll put tolls on our roads. We just don't have enough taxes coming in. That's our problem. You see, the interest of thy word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And again, Proverbs 16 and verse 25, right reason, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so our founding fathers, they understood natural law, that it was based in goodness. It was based on right reason from God himself. It was based on on uh, true law. And based on absolute reality. But I want you to know a second thing as we dissect the declaration a little bit further. That is the conviction of a rule by law, a republic, a republican form of government. Can we do it together? We didn't do it yet. Help me out. In fact, would you stand with me, please? Let's do it together. Here we go. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand over my heart. You don't have to. But I'm going to pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. I want you to notice that we pledged to a Republic, a rule by law. You see, the three Hebrew children, they had a rule by law in their heart. It was in their heart. They had God's law, their words were written in. engraving in their minds the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures were written in their hearts, the Decalogue, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. And they knew that because of that natural law, that God-given law, that written law, the laws of nature's God, that they could not, they had a rule by law, not a rule by man. You see, they had a conviction of a rule by law, a republic, as opposed to a rule by man, a democracy. America wants a democracy today. We've been wanting a democracy since... Wilson, back in 1917, the president's been talking about a democracy, about this democratic nation. Folks, we do not have a democracy. Well, we do have a democracy. But we're not supposed to have a democracy. Our founding fathers, when Ben Franklin was, came out of that Constitutional Convention in, in Philadelphia, someone asked a question and shoved the microphone in his face, I'm sure. It said, sirs, what government do you give us? And he said, we give you a republic if you can keep it. You see, we've decided to erode and take away the law. And we don't want to be bound by the chains of the Constitution, as Thomas Jefferson said. We want a living document. We want to be able to say, what, and we want to be able to reinterpret. People want to reinterpret the Word of God. They write new Bibles all the time. They want to re-assess re, re what God has said. no. God, God is a true. Let, yeah, let God be true, but every man a liar. We don't need to rewrite it. We just need to reread it. We have the founding fathers. They understood. They wrote just a few years later in the, the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall, be, shall guarantee every state in the Union, a Republican, that's a rule by law, form of government, and shall protect each of, each of them against invasion and against domestic violence. Folks, listen to me. We and we have some, we have some. All of us at one time or other, not ourselves personally, our our heritage, our families were immigrants at one time. We're not against immigrants. You're poor. You're tired. You're 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 you're, you're downtrodden. This is a land of liberty. I'm all for immigration. I'm against illegal immigration. There's a difference. There's a call. And if we, we need to have borders, language, and culture. The Jews had borders, language, and culture. And they were, not to, they were committed to not forget it. They had a rule by law. They had, the, the, Peter had borders, language, and court, culture. And he had, he tried to be a good Jewish citizen in Jerusalem there. But when the Jews, Jewish Sanhedrin of the government said, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus, Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. There comes a time when a rule by law supersedes the rule of government. Psalms 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within mine heart. You see, when the owner of the Red Hen says, I don't want you eating my restaurant, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she has every right to say, Sarah Sarah Huckabee, get lost. She has that right. And she can kick anybody out of her restaurant she wants to, but when she follows across the street and tells her, tell another restaurant that you can't you can eat in that restaurant. and Now she's gone, gone too far. You see, when the Christian baker says, "I don't only want to make a cake for," I don't want to make a cake for uh, two men for a wedding. He has that right because this is America. You go in a Jewish jelly, don't ask for hot dogs or not, un- kosher, not kosher hot dogs. You're going to get you're going to don't ask for ice cream in a hamburger joint in, in Israel. They have that right. You see, we'll look at it tonight in a little bit more detail, but we'll look at John Leland tonight, and he was for the rights of the religious and for the irreligious as well. Yeah, have are right. This is America. But a rule by law says, no, this is, this is a rule by law. And once you start breaking that rule by law, the floodgates come open, I'm afraid. And we see, secondly, or thirdly, rather, this conviction Three convictions that these Hebrew children, three boys, had, and these three convictions that, that the founders of our Declaration certainly had. They had the conviction that, of natural law by God higher than natural law of any government. They had a second conviction of uh, a rule by law, a republic, as opposed to a rule by man, a democracy. You don't want mobocracy. You say you want democracy, and by the way, just a quick history lesson. The difference between the American, I don't like to call it the Revolution, the War for Independence, and the French Revolution, not the French War for Independence. The, French Revol- the American Revolution was based on God, no king but Jesus. The, the French Revolution was based on the rights of man, offered their heads and 40,000 rolled. That's the difference. For you that know a little bit about history, Napoleon, or rather Napoleon, was the gift that uh, that France got as a result of the French Revolution. And that wasn't a gift, I'm afraid to tell you. You see, there's anarchy. And then there's um, then there's monarchy. Being monarchy will we'll, we'll be ruled by God. And it leads me to my third point. The conviction of self inner law, or self-government, or in other words, say it this way, the conviction of self-government is the best government. You see, the Hebrew children said, we don't have to think about this, king. We can't bow. We've got a higher authority to bow to, and it's not you. We can't do this. We're trying to live peaceably, if it'd be possible to live peaceably with all men sometimes it's not possible self government is the best government by the way you remember that book was written i think 70 years ago now i remember learning it when i was in kindergarten or being told about it all i ever needed to know in life i learned in kindergarten remember that some of you are looking at me no i don't remember that preacher but anyhow there's a book something i i think i botched the title you know in kindergarten you learn to stand in line you learn to take your turn Learn to be obedient. You learn to be quiet when you're supposed to be quiet and speak up when you're supposed to be quiet. You're supposed to be kind to others. The Bible gives us a a fruit of the spirit formula in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 21 to 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Just think if all nations loved each other. How about that? Joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, suffering, temperance, or self-control. Against such, do you know what it says? There is what? No law. You see, the best government, let me tell you the greatest villain that you have in your life, the greatest tyrant in your life, the greatest, the greatest uh, uh, person that gives you more problems than anybody in your life, is, 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 is that person you see in the mirror every morning. We're our own worst enemy. If you can, can learn to control this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace with him. You see, there's this conviction of self-law, and I didn't give you three sub-points, they all begin with C, three words, all beginning with C. You see, this self-government, which is the best government, brings, first of all, courage. It brought courage to David, the teenage boy in the valley, of Gav. When his six brothers said, no way! A little bit of Espanol. No way, Jose! I'm not going down that valley facing that Philistine. David said, is there not a cause? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Daniel. You see, there's self-government. When the decree was made, you shouldn't bow to any other king or any other deity. And you make your prayer. Daniel says, his custom was, three times a day he bowed and he got in the lion's den. But God, was, God, God delivered him. The 56 signers of the declaration, I think many of them. The story is given about one very, very heavy of signer declaration. as he came across uh, uh, as one of his young friends was, or pardon me, a, a very skinny, slender, slight of a man, was signing his name on the declaration. He turned to his heavy, fat counterpart, and he said, well, you have a lot to be worried about. Uh, you don't, I have more to be worried about than you have to be worried about, rather. He says, why is that? He says, when the noose goes around your neck, You'll hang and drop quick and die, die quickly. But I'll when the noose drops around my neck, I'll, I'll, I'll f- flail around for a good few minutes here before I, I'm dead. You see, there's a price to pay. Some have to pay it. But it gives you courage, this self-law, this self-government. Not only does it give courage, and Patrick Henry, of course, said these words, it is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand ye here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What what would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not, of course, what others may take, but as for me... Give me liberty or give me death. We have some need to have some Christians again that are built on conviction. Say, I'll live for for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm willing even to die for Christ. We don't have many Christians that are willing to even live for Christ, let alone die for Him. But these men had conviction. It brought them courage, it brought them, it brought change. Tonight, and I'll just let me take a 10-second commercial. I'll not have you raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass the majority of you, and you're in good company, or massive company, I should say, not necessarily good. But I to ask you the question, how many know the name John Leland? Very few hands would raise. How many know the name James Madison? I hope you know that name. He's our fourth president. He was one of the three architects of our Constitution. We visited, we went right by his house uh, on Thursday, as a matter of fact, and uh, on our way back here, and we, uh, but John Leland, we'll talk about him tonight, He's a Baptist preacher, and he spoke in person to a fellow by the name of George Washington, a fellow by the name of John Adams, a fellow by the name of Thomas Jefferson. I met him personally, a fellow by the name of James Madison, James Monroe, uh, John Quincy Adams, Martin Van Buren, and Andrew, ja- Andrew Jackson. Spoke to all seven of them, wrote extensively. He was a famous name, and Americans knew him. Everybody knew who he was. He's buried up here in Cheshire, Mass, and people don't even know where Cheshire, Mass, is. They don't know, know the, who John Leland is. And, to begin with, but he gave us what we know of today as the Bill of Rights, that First Amendment to the Clause of our Constitution. Congress shall make no law establishing the, the, respecting the uh, the establishment clauses, as it's called, of course, uh, 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 against freedom of religion and freedom from religion, by the way, if you wanted. We'll look at that more tonight. But a broad change. You see, America has been a nation of change just a sidebar, you may want to pick up the book, The 5,000-Year Leap. It's been, no, it's, I think it's 10, 15 years old now. But how the world changed in 1776. For basically 5,000 years, people have been running around in horses and wagons. And coming in 1776, the postulate of the book is that, that uh, from our Constitution forward, that, more, that the world has changed more in the last 200 years than the last previous year, 5,000 years combined. I like the book overall, but I disagree with the the, the author's uh, treaties that it came because of our Constitution. I thank God for our Constitution. But I think our this freedom came from the fact that we finally had a nation that made this grand experiment. We're going to make the Lord our God. We're going to follow the word of God. We're going to be a Christian nation and a city set on the hill, and we're going to be a light and a beacon to all others. And that brings me to the third C, that this conviction of self-government brings. It brings courage, it brings change, and it brings a new country. A new country. When de Tocqueville, the French historian, came in the 1820s and 1830s to America trying to find out what made America great, he said, America is great because America is good. And he found the power of the church was not in Philadelphia or in Washington. It was found in the churches sprinkled across the land. It was found in its people. It was a, it was a country that declared uh, insurrection from the kings of this earth and allegiance to the King of Glory, the King of Heaven. It's so important that we understand these these founding truths of our of our of our country. But we often think of that declaration. That you probably never heard anybody else maybe use that phrase, Declaration of. Insurrection, we always hear a declaration of independence. But they, Christians, we don't think much about revolt. Let me just give you a sidebar, a lot of misinterpretation. Jesus said when he was being tempted by the religious crowd, he said, he, he said uh, they gave him a coin and, said, Who's, and Jesus said, whose image is on it? Who did Jesus say, remember? Caesar's, right? And he said, render unto Caesar the things that are what? Caesar's. Render unto government the things that are government. A lot of times we end there. But Jesus said, and render unto God the things that are God. Let me let you in a little revelation. The children do not belong to the government. They belong to, they belong to God. God has, God has who, whose image should they have? Government's image? No, the image of God. It thou shalt keep them, thou shalt write them upon the table, so thine heart teach them the word of God. Well, oh, our country is great because our country, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I have Be careful here, and I'll be, uh, I'm not trying to be abrasive or hurtful to anyone. In the grand scheme of things, I already said it once, we're all immigrants of some place. America the great land of experiment. I'm glad it doesn't matter, red and real, black and white, rich, poor, bond, or free. Man or woman, boy or girl, all can come to Jesus Christ. He's not a respecter of persons. In every nation that feareth Him, He'll bless and honor. But I want you to know that we have an opportunity to, we don't think about it much, but we have an opportunity to insurrect. In fact, God calls us to insurrect against the God, small g, of this world. And declared that insurrection against Satan the God of this world, live by a higher law and change your country. I'm, I'm ending the planes coming down. I'm coming in for the landing. I just want to tell you, some of you have heard me preach for many, many years. and You know what I, my belief system and so forth. I believe it's based on the word of God. I try to get corrected every day from the God's word. I still need honing and so forth. I haven't had a lot of hope for America. I still am pessimistic that we're more like the Titanic than uh, USS Enterprise, maybe. I think their ship might be going down. We're bailing fast. I want America to be great again. I do. And I thank God for the direction that we're starting to go. And I will tell you this. uh, I, I think that it's possible that and I'm, I'm hoping I pray all the time, even so, Lord Jesus, come that He is coming, will be even today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It wouldn't be this, by the end of this week, Jesus is coming again. That'd be great. But He might not come this week. He might not come next month. He might not come next year. He might not even come for five years. He might not come for a whole lot of years. And is it possible? For America to have revival again. Well, I know I steal a verse from the Old Testament, and I know it was first applied to Israel, but the Bible does say if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I believe that revival doesn't begin in the White House. I believe it begins in the church house. It doesn't begin in somebody else's heart. Revival begins in your heart in my heart. The declaration of insurrection. May we all have three convictions that lead us to that proper insurrection. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for our country. Oh, yes, Lord, we could decry, and Lord, we could lament, and we should at times. lament our national sins, are many. Lord, we blush to know that, Father, that as Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 said, Lord, we are people who dwell in the midst of an unclean nation. For our eyes have seen the Lord. When we see you, we realize how unclean we've become, how far divorced we've come from natural law to unnatural law, how self-government is now replaced by self-anarchy, by rule, by law, Lord, has degenerated into democracy, mob rule, he who screams the loudest wins. Lord, we pray that you might bless, dear God, me. We not think of politicians as being our saviors, but Lord, may we consider and we pray for our preachers across the nation this morning. Pray for our pulpits and our, our people and our churches. We might rise up again and say this land is our land, this land is your land. In my country, tis of thee. It's a sweet land of liberty. because think it's a nation that's founded on the principles of God. Pray, bless in our moments of reflection and invitation as you sing that song once again. My country, tis of thee. We'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, 126, I know we sing it already.